Hey guys, how you guys doing today? Today we have a special interview. This is like a double-edged sword. So today we're going to be talking about stocks and bonds with Miss Abra Jane. How are you doing today? I'm good. Glad to be here, guys. I'm so excited for this interview because <laughs> she's a very special person to me, and I hope by the time this ends, you'll learn a lot about her. So who are you and what do you do? Um, my name is Avra Jan, and I'm... The profession I have now is I'm a real estate developer in, in Miami, and I've been doing that the last 22 years. Oh, that's awesome. So people say that you find gold where others can't. How does that work? How's, like, how's the process of when you're doing real estate? How does that work? Like, what do you look for? What do you, what do you see in properties that other people might not see? Ooh, that's some of that's a, like that's my secret sauce, right? Um, <laughs> so I don't actually I don't know I don't know really know the answer. Right. You know, so things that look obvious to me apparently are not that obvious <laughs> to other people. Right. Um, I, I do think there are some people that see what I see. Mm. It's just the difference is, is having the courage mm. um, to buy property and, and do things in transitional neighborhoods and, uh, and where other people just don't have the courage to do it. Right. So, um, and that a lot of it comes with confidence intuition, right. and how do you get that, right? So a lot of it is um, just doing it a long time. I mean, this is one of those professions where it, it isn't just overnight. Right. You know, the real estate is something where over time, and your dad would agree with this, it's just, it's just that over time, you know, there's a process to learning, right. um, a process to developing that intuition. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, I did it in New York before I did it in Miami. I've right. been doing it 40 years now. So originally you didn't start out in real estate. You started out on Wall Street, right, trading bonds? Yes. I have, a, I have an engineering degree from Purdue University. Mm -hmm. Math, always a good, math background is right. good, right? Mm -hmm. And then out of college I went to New York City um, with engineering job offers in hand, but I appreciated that as an education, but I, yeah. I knew that wasn't what I really wanted to do. So I went to New York. I actually bartended for uh, <laughs> six months right. while I um, try, you know, was looking for a job. Um, on Wall Street, there was a lot of nepotism on Wall Street, a lot of Wall Street is relationships. Yeah, right. And, and um, so I was, they called me the walk-on. <laughs> and, um, you know, I went on walk-on and and so, how did I get prepared for that opportunity? Yeah. So what I did was, I because I didn't have an MBA. Most of the people I yeah. would be competing against would have an MBA, right. right? So I read the textbook that everybody reads for their MBA, which okay. was Martha Stigham's Money Market book, right. which talked about bonds and all these sorts of things. And, and I read that book, and because in the end, most things are about vocabulary, yeah, right? Because right. decision-making, problem-solving, yeah. you know, I learned that in engineering, yeah. right? Processes. So it was really vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So I read the book, and that prepared me. <laughs> By the way, Mar Ma reading Martha Stigham's Money Market compared to Fluid Mechanics was a walk in the park. <laughs> right. So while you were there, what did you exactly do on Wall Street? Well, I started out... As a, in the middle market, so okay. I actually worked with the with the dealers. So there's at the time there was 42 recognized dealers, and these are hopefully things that 
um, your viewers will right. will look up, and you guys will try to explain it. So in this, there is a recognized dealer. So the, the federal government disseminates the national debt. Right. Yeah. And the way they disseminate it is through auctions with recognized dealers, qualified big banks. Right. Yeah. So it's like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, you know, um, Bank of America. So these are the it's the big boys that are qualified to go to the auctions, the government auctions, and take down the national debt. By issuing bonds. Yeah, the, the national right. debt is bond issuance, yeah. and they happen every week. There's schedules. If it's tre- you know, and there's durations. Is it treasury bonds for short term? Right. You know, two year note, five year note, ten year note, thirty year note, and so, and and those things are traded mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. So you did you are you trading the old ten year note or the old old ten year note or the old 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 ten year <laughs> note? Right. And then so these these you know these auctions happen on a regular basis. And those recognized dealers, I, I don't know, even know how many there are now. It's probably only less than 30 because right. there was so much consolidation in the space. These recognized dealers trade amongst themselves. Yeah. yeah. And clients and large institutions call, call them up for bids and offers. Right. And then they go into a middle market and trade amongst each other. Yeah. Okay. But they don't know who's who. Right. So They're not in the Anonymity is the key. And I was in, let's say, that pit between between dealer and dealer. And that's really where I learned how to trade. I watched and I had, um, I was very fortunate and um, ended up, you know, having the largest account and um, (laughs) not by accident. (laughs) And, um, And I just... And so I learned by watching these guys how they traded, what they looked at. There's patterns to what they do, right. and that's how I learned. That's actually like super. Because yeah. I transitioned from being in, you know, let's say in the pit to actually then being on the risk side. Was it a difficult or stressful job? Did, did you like enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. You loved it? <laughs> yeah, but it's very sporty. Yeah. Right? It was like, yeah. I felt like I was... You used, like, used to play sports, I right? used to play sports. Mm-hmm. I went yeah. to college on a tennis coach, so it was very sporting. Um, you know, the nice thing about Wall Street in, let's say, a trading percep- per, per, uh, as a profession or in these, like, situations, you, you really are kind of working for yourself. Right. Yeah. Like, you really get paid based on performance, which is very similar to an athlete, right? right. Yeah. So I, I really identified with that. Um, and then, you know, and I wanted, you know, a lot of people would have not left... Right. The, the middle markets because truthfully you got way overpaid for what we did and because we weren't taking risk right. we were just facilitating and, um, and some of us were better facilitators than others but and, and got paid accordingly but I wanted to go on the risk side right. so a lot of people would have said well why are you doing that you know because I actually put myself in a much more stressful situation <laughs> yeah. by actually taking the risk but you know, that's what I wanted to do. And so then you, after you transitioned to real estate? Yes, yeah, so when I, while, this whole time while I was working on Wall Street, um, you know, it's like playing Monopoly, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a national debt. Yeah. Like a one on the screen stands for a million. We're trading billions of these securities <laughs> a day. And but I wanted to make something. I yeah. wanted to build something. Right. So on the side, 
you know, I, I think I've moonlighted my whole life, um, whether it was learning things or, you know, um, taking classes and music or art or whatever. I always, you know, after college, you know, I, I never stopped my curiosity. Right. But what I did was, you know, all the money that we were making, which I was almost felt guilty about, <laughs> I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend, I didn't live, I didn't live, I didn't live my lifestyle. You spent to, your money. To oh. the money I was making. Right. For a couple of reasons. One, you always want to give yourself to, you never want to be a slave to your job if you don't have to be. Right. Yeah. So I always said, you know, I always want to have the ability to walk in and say, maybe I want to do something else or maybe I want to try something else, which I did. Like I a took piece a, of mind. No, I just, like, I was young. Right. Because you guys, you, you just you, want to have options. You want to have options. You want to have options your whole life. Yeah, right. You, you have to, to be stuck. But you have to create your options. Mm -hmm. So I was young. I don't know. This is. I mean, I had an option for. I could have always gone back to engineering. I had this, and then I, so I took. A, I actually took a sabbatical to go to film school. So I, I just <laughs> always, and then realized I really loved what I want. What, as a profession, I really would rather do this than be in a subjective space. And I went back to Wall Street. So I would always say, you know. You can create your own optionality, and the way, one way you do it is by. So I was saving my money, so I was like, okay, if I ever want to take time off, if I ever want to explore another career option, okay. you could. I mean, I think it's a lot to know what you want to do, mm -hmm. right? So listen, you, going to college. I mean, do you really know what you want to do as a profession? I mean, you have some ideas, yeah. but you you want to give yourself the ability to change your mind, yeah. And so just be open. Right. So, you know. I, when I was a kid, I loved to build forts. And so here I am, I'm like, have this money. So I started building my own apartments. One apartment became two, two became half a building. And so it was a hobby right. that became a second career. And the guys I was working with at, on Wall Street, we were, there was a hedge fund, the Goldman Sachs guys, and we're, they were like, you know, Avra, you know, we want to do this too. Why don't you go, <laughs> go find a building and we'll buy it together and we'll do it. Right. That's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. I went and I found a building. This is early 90s um, in Tribeca, 100,000 square foot loft conversion. And um, I left to do that. Um, they, they came. They were my partners. My, uh, you know, because obviously I didn't, couldn't afford to do this by myself. Right. And, um, and I never went back. So you realize, like, Wall Street goes great, but now it's time to get to Yeah. Street. Right, but I always knew I could go back to right. Wall Street. So mm -hmm. the other thing I would say is I never burnt any bridges. Right. I maintained my relationships. I left on good stands, you know, in good standing. Like I said, I took the sabbatical. I made one phone call the next day. I was at my desk, right? Mm -hmm. So, but you, again, you, you create your own flexibility, yeah. create your own options, and, um, and it, it's, I think it's really important. And then, you know, especially when you're starting out, I mean, you're right. younger, yeah. right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I love now. It's mm -hmm. not like I'm interested in another career, but, you know, I, I tried a lot of things before I decided. Because if you're passionate about what you're doing, you're going to be better at it. Yeah, I right? agree. And you're going to do, you're gonna really, you're gonna do well. So, you know, find your passion. Right. When did, when did you decide it was time to move down here to Miami? It was... I mean, I moved down in 1999. I was doing real estate in New York, Tribeca, Soho, mm -hmm. and, um, and I was dating somebody down here. Mm -hmm. And I came down and I was like, I've been coming down for fun for a long time. Mm -hmm. In the 80s, all my friends were in the fashion business, and models yeah. and photographers, and so 
Um, but I finally came down, somebody that, you know, who was living down here, and I, I, real, I started to look around a little more seriously about, you know, because I was li semi-living here, and I was going like, well, where is everybody? Like, like <laughs> you know, everybody's on South Beach, and it was fun, and people would come and go, but there were people that lived and worked here, and where was their lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Because being a tourist on the beach is not, is different for people that are living here full time, right. as we all know, right? It's a different lifestyle. Right, mm -hmm. we, just, we know, like, do, do we go to the beach, not go to the beach? Yeah. Probably I'm not. <laughs> yeah, because of the traffic, much, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I saw some things that reminded me of old New York. So I had had the benefit of having developed in New York um, having lived in London, having traveled. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, gosh, you know, I just saw this canvas. Yeah. I saw the need and the want, and nobody was doing it. Right. Uh, I mean, Tony Coleman was here. He was concentrated on the beach. Eventually came a, a, somebody from New York who had done Soho. And then I watched him transition over to, to the mainland as well. So I was like, the only thing I had to get comfortable with was why other people weren't doing it. It was like, like you asked the question before, like right. wh why, what you see things other people don't see, right? Right. And so I just had to get comfortable with the fact that there was nobody else doing it. Like, like most people want a company, right? Well, why didn't somebody else buy that? Or why isn't somebody else doing that, right? And it, Real estate does have a little bit of a herd mentality. Mm -hmm. Oh, everybody's Winwood, now we'll all go to Winwood. Everybody, right. now we'll all go to Beach, right? A lot of it is they want, they want validation because mm. um, these are big decisions. Lots of times lenders, banks that fund your projects also like to be where everybody else is. Right. So when you do transitional neighborhoods or you're in areas where nobody is, um, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, you're making yeah. it harder for yourself the risk perception is much higher. I actually think the risk is less because usually if you're going into those neighborhoods, you, you pay less. Right. So I, I actually think that reduces my risk. Right. Um, so, um, but the industry doesn't see it that way. Yeah. Investors usually don't see it that way and lenders don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that you, I've had to come up with. Mm -hmm come up against when, so it looks like gold, but it looks like gold after the fact. Right. <laughs> At the time. You see the potential. Yeah, everybody's like, it really? Like, like, are you kidding me ever? <laughs> like, just, just give it some time. <laughs> it looks yeah, like a rock, like, 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 there's, there's gold in it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So you co-founded the Vagabond Group. I want to know how you came up with that name or how that establishment came to Yeah. Well, it's based on the Vagabond Hotel, right? It was a motel, right? Yeah, motel yeah. turned boutique hotel. Is that the one on Biscayne? Yes, yes the one on Biscayne at 7301 Biscayne. It's a vintage, vintage awesome. uh, motel. Yeah. The time we were at, we were in yeah. the hurricane. Went to the pool there once. And I think that was like, I was 13, so like four years ago. And we didn't lose power. Maybe we lost power for like 10 seconds. Power the entire time. Power the whole time. We were walking through the hallways <laughs> yeah, during was, the hurricane. That's not my life. Cook, cooking at yeah. night because we had guests. In the restaurant, we could cook in the restaurant because yeah. like, we had the whole hotel to ourselves. Should we talk about the, the performances that everybody, all the kids do? Yeah. Everybody yeah, playing games. So we had entertainment at night. So 
You know, um, so this, there's a stretch of Biscayne Boulevard that starts at 51st Street up to 70, um, 77th Street. Yeah. It's called MIMO, which stands for Miami Mid-Century Modern. It's a very important part of Miami history. Right. So Miami history, you know, we had South Beach, right? Mm -hmm. which, so we had the Deco District. Yeah. Similarly, at the time, there was a stretch of motels on Biscayne Boulevard, yeah. also US-1, where back in the 50s and 60s, you know, it was right after World War II, everybody had their cars right. um, for the first time, families were taking vacations, and US-1 was the, the path to the magic city of right. Miami. So imagine in the 50s and 60s, everybody driving their, you know, yeah. 57th ending, down US-1, and there was just a strip of these old motels right. with big neon sign say, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. So Vagabond was one of those motels. Right. And it was the nicest hotel on the strip. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, motel sounds for motor hotel. A lot of them are like pull in, pull out yeah. type thing. Um, but this one was special because it had a beautiful pool deck. And, and so if you didn't stay on the beach at the Eden Rock or Fountain Blue, you might have stayed at the Vagabond. Mm -hmm. And... If you were Sammy Davis Jr., you might have stayed at the Vagabond because you couldn't stay on the beach. Right. So, you know, this goes back to the days when there was segregation, which, you know, they talk a lot about at the Hampton yeah. House, right? Um, so, so this, there was this whole strip, and it was derelict when, I, um, when we were driving up and down the strip because after they built 95, people stopped coming down US-1, yeah. Yeah. and all these old motels turned into drugs and prostitution. Right. And so... I mean, we're talking streetwalkers, right? And so everybody's, you know, 40,000 cars a day driving past the Vagabond Hotel. And nobody could get past the streetwalkers. Right. Not even my own investors. Right. <laughs> um, it was like, um, but I saw like these beautiful, you know, mid-century modern buildings. And I saw the story. And remember, it was something that was once was pretty grand. Yeah. So it was about, it wasn't about having to create a new neighborhood. It was about bringing it back. Yeah. And around it was really nice. You had Bellmead, Morningside, all these yeah. really nice neighborhoods. But, you know, the, when the moms were driving down Biscayne Boulevard, they had to pull the shades down by, you know, where <laughs> yeah. the bays are yeah, because, so, so they wouldn't see. So I thought it was really interesting. And then, so... I, you know, it was Nash already designated historic, um, which to me was interesting because that means that if I did a nice job on my restoration, everybody else had to do the same. Yeah. They didn't have to do a nice job, but they couldn't knock it down. There right. was design criteria, which was a little bit of protection. So we thought the thesis was if we went and bought enough of these motels where bad behavior was going on, mm -hmm. What would happen? Revamp the area. And it happened much quicker than we thought. <laughs> so what happened was, I'm not saying we fixed the social problem, right. but um, what we did do was the minute we shut down, no refunds after five minutes, um, the neighborhood changed very quickly. Mm -hmm. Right, so you, you guys were like a domino. You guys started the first domino, right? We were the tipping point. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of other people that saw, but... Didn't take that you step. took action on it. But took a big step. Yeah. And we said, you know, what made us think we could take a, 
$20 an hour hotel and turn it into, you know, $200 a night, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, but nothing told us that we couldn't. It wasn't like somebody tried and failed. So, um, you know, again, the risk, it was priced accordingly for the risk. Um, we were able to arbitrage some, arbitrage is a good word, um, in finance. We were able to arbitrage um, historic incentives to further mitigate our risk. Um, risk mitigation is, is something you want to do in business at all times. Right. And, um, and so, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. start, we did the vagabond, and after we did the vagabond, we did it as quickly as we could to the highest, you know, yeah. higher level than anybody would have expected. And that set the tone for the rest of the neighborhood. And after we did the Vagabond, it was like that sort of became our brand. Yeah. Yeah, the rooms are beautiful at the Vagabond. It's like a home. Like the hotel was only feel like a hotel room, like wood floors. Yeah. I remember it very clearly. Yeah, yeah. no, and we, we, um, we rebuilt it from the inside out. Yeah. So it's actually a new hotel inside of a, a vintage building. Vintage, you know, architecturally significant building. I mean, it's not grand, right. but it speaks to the time and is part of the Miami story. Mm. Okay. So you were an athlete growing up. I remember one time, we've had so many great conversations, but one time we were talking about, because I'm a basketball player, and you're like, sports are great because it teaches you how to like block out everything. And you made an example of me shooting at the free throw line where people are like screaming at me, saying mm. stuff. And then you say it could be applied off the court as well. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that you learned as an athlete that you apply still to this day? Well, as a trader, I had to drown out the noise all the time, yeah. right? Because right? the markets are moving and, you know, it's just a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of noise yeah. in the markets. So I, uh, you know, so I learned out how to drown out um, the noise. Uh, even when I was studying in school, I, I like to go to noisy places. That right. helps me focus, right? Because you, when you drown it out, it fo helps you focus, you know? Um, yeah, so this ability to sort of step back, take a deep breath, lower your pulse. Right. What sports did you play? Tennis. Tennis? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I went... College sport, too. Yeah, this was a long time ago. <laughs> like, just at, like... Wood rack. I most played most of my tennis career with wood rackets. So um, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna really date, date myself. But I did benefit from Title IX. Oh, so yeah. I was one of. So we were able to get. I was one of the early beneficiaries for a scholarship because of Title IX. So growing up, did you have any role models or people you looked up to that you think might have helped get you where you are today? Listen, my parents were big, big influence. Big right? supporters. Big supporters. Um, you know, I never knew boundaries. Right. They never set boundaries. Yes. Yeah. I never saw. I never saw lines. I never saw fences. I never saw glass ceilings. I never saw. I never saw any of that. I mean, both my parents have their PhDs. Mm -hmm. Very encouraging. Yeah. So I just. I just never. I never. Um, I never boxed myself in, which meant I never boxed other people out. Right. Right. So. Um, yeah. So that was probably my parents, and if. I, I still, even to this day, I still watch the Olympics because it, it just, you know, as an athlete, you know, obviously not, not world-class, but, but competitive, understanding the discipline that it takes to get there right. and the conviction. And then for them, it's one moment. One gun goes off 
for that hurdler, they miss gate. They, right. could, they could be the best in the world every other day. Right. And they hit that, they hit that gate and they're down, right? right. Like so much on the line mm -hmm. and they get one shot. So what advice would you give to these people that are afraid of failing or being stuck in behind these boundary lines? Can't step over oh it. Oh my God, how boring. Right. Like, so, I mean, it's like, like, first thing I would ask is, what are you afraid of? Right. What, you're afraid of being judged? Yeah. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. It's like, <laughs> you know what? If you don't try, you will not be judged. Yeah. Right. But then own it. Mm. Uh, no excuses. Um, but, but what's the worst that happens? Mm. Like, right. I, I cannot tell you how important it is to go for it. Right. Now, yeah. there's a difference between being courageous and foolhardy. I'm not telling everybody just run and jump out of a plane with yeah. no parachute, right? <laughs> but, like, go for it. Like, go for it. And the sooner you do it and the younger you do it, the more you're going to benefit from that. Right. You only live once. Yeah, you only, well, you, you, you do only live once. <laughs> By the way, well, maybe. And maybe scientifically. Yeah, scientifically. But, you know, the thing is, is, like, I always say, well, what do you have to lose? Right. Yeah. What do you have to lose? What are you afraid of? I mean, and, and, it, and the fear, if the, and the more homework you do and the more prepared you are, the less fearful you are. Yeah. Right. You know, so just, just be prepared. Be ready and, and get the feedback. Yeah. Because really, you're not failing. You're just getting... You're learning. You're learning. You're getting, you're getting feedback. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're going to find out what you like or right. what you don't like, or, you know, it's just absolutely... I completely absolute, agree with that. It's, it's a learning situation for sure. Yeah. You know, for sure. So a lot of people sometimes have this issue with listening, not listening to others, but listening when people speak. I remember one time we were at your house and you were telling me about how your father used to have meetings at home and you as a little girl used to sit at the table. <laughs> you want to say a word? I remember this. I remember a lot of things you told me <laughs> and you would just listen. How important is that? Just to be able just to not speak, but just to watch people, watch how they talk, watch how they articulate. How important is that to you? That's, that's how you learn. Right. You can read all the books you want to read. Right. It's all about listening. And it's something I work at yeah. all the time. Right. I mean, you get better as you get older. Um, um, there's, you know, obviously different perspectives yeah. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So when I, for what I do now, um, in real estate, right? I spend a lot of time listening because I'm trying to figure out what the market wants and needs. Mm -hmm. I can't, you can't tell the market what they want and need. Right. The market has to tell you. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. Mm -hmm. So they build the same thing over and over again, but I'm like, oh, but is that what people want or what they need or what they, you know? And the other thing is, in, in listening, you're going to learn how you feel and what you want. Gain your own perspectives. And what you like. Right. So, so when I go to do a project, I would never do a project that I didn't like. Because mm -hmm. if I don't like it, why would anybody else yeah. like it? Right? right? So I think listening um, helps you learn more about the people around you, but it also helps you learn more about yourself. Okay. So stepping from the business and career in your life, what do you see on the financial literacy side, the importance in learning financial literacy and gaining education in it? Yeah, listen, every, 
Everybody should have it. You guys are so fortunate. You're doing, you have access, right? right. You have Google. Number one internet. Like, <laughs> Everyone says Google. You guys have access to Google. Yeah. Like, like, gosh, you know, and I, there was no ATM, you know. I had I had a paper route early. My my mom taught me literacy. Yeah. We had to add it up, and it was ten cents a week back then. So your mom was your teacher. My mom was a teacher, and it's you know it's basic math. Mm-hmm. You know, financial literacy is algebra. Yeah, right. Because everybody learn algebra. That is the only math, in my opinion, that you will use yeah. forever. Um, and statistics, if you go into finance. I'm taking statistics. Class this year. Yeah, it's yeah. super important if it's you go into course. finance, but algebra for everybody. And, you know, and just learning the algebra, very basic. Um, and then, you know, learn, I, I had to learn how to balance my checkbook when I was a kid. I mean, it was, I was getting $5 a month, right, an allowance, right? But, I, you know, learning how to balance, learn. And then don't... Don't try to get lucky. Um, you know, people think, I worked on Wall Street a long time, and people ask me, Aubrey, what stock should I buy? And I go, I don't own any. <laughs> because I know that everybody else on Wall Street, trading equities, knows a lot more information than I do. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was a bond trader. I had more information than the the everybody else would have because I'm getting live feeds. We have internal economists. We're we're seeing deal flow that nobody else is seeing. Learning about it all day. So why would I try to compete against that? So when you are trading on Wall Street, unless you do a deep dive into a company, study the price action, study the P&E, understand who's at the top, understanding the demand, like unless you really do a deep dive, or if it's something you know. Right. Let's say you're a graphic artist and you're like, hey, there's a new software out there. I just tried it. I love it. I think this is going to be fantastic, right? Then, so maybe you have some personal experience with something. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, all you're doing is gambling. Yep, I remember this. I remember you're this. trading price action. Yeah. yeah. So the market goes up and you, you think you're smart. I'm not saying you're not smart. But just understand you're just... Trading price action. What do you know about that company? What do you know about that business? What do you know about that industry? Mm-hmm. All you know is, is yesterday was a dollar, today it's a dollar fifty, and you think it's going to two, right? Right. That is, that, and you, you know, you're going to be right a lot, mm-hmm. just like going to Atlantic City and putting your money on the pass line, right? Fifty-fifty, right? But try to understand the industry you're investing in, yeah. and why you think it's a good idea. Um, I'm not discouraging anybody from doing it, but just understand you're competing against a lot of other people that really spend all day studying this. So there's a difference between trading what you know and trading price action. Mm -hmm. And if you want to trade price action, that's fine, but don't, but own it, (laughs) you know? So I don't own as much as I know about finance. I own zero stocks. So your advice to people that would want to step into any profession in general, basically, is to do your research and know what you're doing. Do your homework. Right. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect at it. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're interested. You're in sports and you're interested in investing in sports stuff. Or, gosh, Nike came out with a great sneaker. That's great. But, but then look, study the industry. Well, what's, what's Nike doing? What's Adidas doing? What's, you know, un, just yeah. have a basic understanding so that when the market moves for you or against you, 
Try to understand why. Mm -hmm. So why? Oh, that's because demand went up. Or oh, because LeBron just announced a brand. Like, that's okay. But try to understand why it goes good or bad. Right. That's how you learn. All right, so let's finish it up. We'll finish off on this last question. This is probably my favorite interview we've done. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. I actually could agree, right? Yeah. Because yeah, we interviewed a handful of people, but this is by far my favorite. What advice would you give to people who want to get into real estate? Listen, real estate or anything, right? Be, be passionate about it. So yeah. for real estate, just be patient. Mm. It takes a long time to learn. Start small. If you ever get a chance to, um, whether... I can tell you that building a duplex mm-hmm. is the same process as building a building. Mm-hmm. In fact, I could build you uh, a 70,000 square foot building, eight-story building, faster than I could build you a house. Right. Same process, same vocabulary. So start small, make your mistakes on renovating your own house. Your parents want to redo the bathroom. <laughs> Take it on. Okay, Dad, I'll interview this. Let's go shopping. Let's go to... Like, Put it, like, do a small projects. And then if, if you, when you get older, buy, maybe buy a duplex, you live on one side, you lease out the other, start small. Yeah. That's what I did. Because right. then you're making your mistakes on smaller projects, yeah. right? Because everything is amplified when you get bigger. And then, and then that will transition. I mean, I, I mentor a lot of students at the University of Miami, and, and I yeah. tell them the same thing. By the way, Going into being a broker isn't a bad way to learn the market, right? Yeah. You can learn the market appraisals, right? right? If you really want to understand what's worth what and how the banks look at things and how the market looks at things, be an appraiser. I mean, there's a lot of things within the industry yeah. before you decide to take risk. So I learned real estate by doing it. I yeah. funded my own projects, my own build-outs. I did them myself. Sometimes you can be part of a team. You can come work with somebody like me, but I will tell you that um, my team is two licensed architects. I don't value the analytics, analytical side. I value the creative side. Yeah. Um, Again, anybody can take a spreadsheet and say whatever you want, right? right? Don't ever, like, spread, like, real estate is back of the napkin algebra. Yeah. What can you buy for? What does it cost to build it? What can you sell for? A plus B equals C, and you just, you know, right. So, um, you know, so that's what I would say. But just in general, you know, be thoughtful about what you're doing. You know, think it's the long game. Yes. I see a lot of young people be really impatient. Like, they want it tomorrow and this and that. Like, you know, it's the long game. I'm not saying somebody can't get lucky and tomorrow, you know, somebody can code the best app in the world or the best game, you know, but... But even then, if you diversify, you know, how you make your money, it's the long game. Time and dedication. Time, dedication, never at the expense of others. It's a small community. This is a small town, a very small town. And I can tell you that when somebody comes to work with you, they've checked, they've called 10 other people before they call you. We all know, like, it's, we all are in the same sandbox. Mm -hmm. And so, um, play fair. And... You know, I think there's a karma to everything. And I think being, being thoughtful yeah. is important. And if you're really good at what you do, in anything you do, share. 
So I share. Everybody's like, oh, I can't believe you. You're so transparent, you know. It's like, I'm like, I'm like, well, listen, if they take ideas from whatever, I, I can do it again. And even if they take an idea from me, they, they still have to execute. Yeah. Right? So if you share, other really good people share with you. Yeah. And you Build all. network. And you all find each other. Yeah. You all find each other. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, whether it's basketball and you're a good shooter and you help another player, well, I'll tell you what. He's the guy that's going to, one day you guys will be on a, on a team together and, yeah. and maybe it's college, right? So you just, you know, you know, so just this idea of being open, being always curious, um, and being thoughtful and mindful, doing your homework, know your vocabulary, and it will take you a long way. Awesome. So, right. Sandra, I want to say Thank you. It was amazing interviewing you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this spectacular interview. Hope you guys have a good day. Bye.